Hello. Yep, there we go. Okay, we're, we're cooking. So, uh, you know, one of the features I like uh, about uh, going to a movie is the coming attractions, you know, that they that play at the beginning, uh, right before the main film. They'll show trailers or highlights of upcoming movies, and that way you know what to expect and, and what's uh, coming down the road. And uh, I don't know about you, but whenever I see those, I'm usually making, you know, pretty snap judgments about the quality of of that film as far as my personal preference uh, would go. And uh, some of the highlights, you know, I, mo- in fact, most of them, uh, I see them and I go, mm, nope, won't be going to that. And uh, thing of that. And, and then there's a few of them that say, well, yeah, that might be kind of interesting. That might be good. And then there's, of course, a couple of guys, oh, yeah, I can't wait for that one to come out. And, and I get excited about that. But you know what I hate? I, I hate when the trailer completely misleads you about what the film is really like. I have seen some trailers where I look at it and go, man, that looks so exciting. I want to go see that. And I get there, and then I realize that every exciting second of the movie was shown in the trailer, and and the rest of the thing is about as boring as watching grass grow. You're just waiting for something to happen, and nothing does. And and, and I don't like that. But there's other times, of course, where I, I think... I know what the movie is going to be like from the trailer, but, but uh, I re- turned out to be completely wrong. Um, I remember seeing ads for the movie, this 2001, so quite a while ago, uh, uh, by a movie called A Beautiful Mind by uh, Russell Crowe, I think was the uh, lead actor in that. And uh, I watched the, you know, the ads and the trailers, and, and I gave that the thumbs down. Uh, I'm like, mm, yeah, no, not interested in that one at all. And my wife, on the other hand, gave it a thumbs up. So as we were watching the movie, um, <laughs> I said, wow, this is a pretty good story. This, this was good. I was glad I watched this. And, and it turned out all right. Now, point of all of this, a movie trailer may let you know what is coming down the road generally, but it really doesn't give you all the details. Uh, things you thought might be good turn out to be bad. Others that you thought might not be any good turn out to be great. You, you really never know exactly what it's going to be until you go through it. And, and as I was preparing for the message this week, it kind of struck me that in some ways, Bible prophecy is a lot like the trailers you see uh, in movies in, in that respect, right? You, you get some highlights. You know what's coming down the road, but you definitely don't get all the details. And, and the truth is we won't know exactly what all is going to happen, at least in terms of, of how and when and what order and all this type of thing, uh, until we see it. And, and yet God gave us uh, Bible prophecy for a purpose, So, even though when we started this series, I told you this was going to be a character study of the life of Daniel, not a study of the book of Daniel, and that we weren't going to uh, be spending time on uh, the prophecies and that type of thing, I do want to take, as we we come to the end of this, one Sunday, big picture overview of 
uh, some thoughts on Bible prophecy. The first six chapters of Daniel were uh, historical accounts of events that took place in his life or the life of his friends. And we looked at them and how how they can apply to living as uh, uh, Christians with conviction and, and character today. Uh, and the final six chapters, by and large, are uh, prophecy, uh, prophecy about the future, about uh, how uh, what happens in the world is going to affect specifically Israel as a nation, those the people there, and and then God's people, which of course would would be us. And um, so we're going to look at several verses in those final six chapters uh, today. Uh, but to start us off, I encourage you to open up to chapter eight. Daniel chapter 8. I'm just going to read one verse to set the stage for us. Um, and, and the verses will be on the back screen. So if, I, if you whip your head around every now and then as I'm saying the scripture, they'll be up there. Uh, you can do it. Uh, for once, you know, it's, it's a benefit to sit over in the cheap seats because now they can see uh, up there and, and get that. But. Okay. Uh, Daniel chapter 8 verse 19 says this. He said, Behold, I'm going to let you know what will occur at the final period of the indignation, for it pertains to the appointed time of the end. Father God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to worship you this morning through song, through prayer, through giving. But now as we look into your word, God, we pray that you would work in our hearts and minds. Pray that your spirit would be free to flow amongst us today, that each person, as they've come with a different burden, a different uh, place, that you would meet them right at their point of need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, fortune-telling is a rather big business in America, and, I, and I'm, I'm presuming probably around the whole world. Uh, you know, people have this desire to, to know what's going to happen. And most people, I think, just want to be reassured about uh, the future, um, or maybe they, they want to believe that brighter days are ahead and they want to find out for that. I, I mean, if not for the whole world, at least brighter days for them and, and uh, that things will be okay. Uh, they they want to know what's going to happen. And so they will go to a person who purportedly can read the lines on their palm or the tarot cards on the table or the stars in the sky and from that tell them what their future will be. And of course, they like to charge a hefty fee for doing that for you, usually anywhere between 20 and 100 bucks per session. And I was trying to find some statistics on it, but it was kind of tough because this is an unregulated business in the United States. Anybody, absolutely anybody, can set up a shop and, and, and uh, can claim to tell you your future and charge you money for it. If I, as I was researching it, trying to figure out some of these things, that the only thing I found that would help to show how pervasive this is in, in the United States was a, a 2010 survey that at that time uh, showed that one out of every seven adults in the United States has claimed to have visited a psychic to find out about their future. Can you imagine that? One out of every seven is trying to do this. 
the Bible, of course, you know, strictly forbids all that kind of nonsense. Uh, you know, much of it is nothing more than, in, than just a sham, but some of it, of course, is demonically connected. And it's always, in any case, spiritually uh, dangerous for us. When it comes to the future, we are to look to God and His Word for hope and encouragement and strength and knowledge, and, and He will give it to us. But He hasn't given you a, a detailed blueprint for your future or the future in general. Um, you know, if you have questions like, should I take that job that's you know, going to require us to move to another city? Or who should I marry? Or should we invest our money in company XYZ? Or you know, these other specific questions that we all have to deal with in life. You are not going to open up the Bible and find the answer to your specific question for your life. There's no verse that says, hey, you should go to this college over here, okay? Uh, And and so you're not going to get that kind of specific answer in the Bible, and you're definitely not going to get it from a psychic. What you do get from Scripture are all kinds of uh, general guidelines and instructions that help us to make wise decisions, right? Uh, the Bible gives quite a few guidelines on who you should marry, right? And, and as you follow those guidelines, you're going to be led to making a wise decision. Beyond that, the Bible says is if, if you lack wisdom, seek, uh, ask of God and He will give to you, you that. And then He says, I've given you the Holy Spirit to, to lead and, and to guide you. And so you put those things together and yes, we should seek God for every question we have in life because He's going to give us guidance. But He has not given you a blueprint of the details of what you have to do in your future. Instead, you have to seek Him and trust Him each step of the way. The future that the Bible does uh, talk to us about uh, um, is not that individual specific uh, stuff for each individual person, but rather a general picture of, of what's going to happen for the whole world. And these last six chapters in Daniel uh, have information on that, and we are going to highlight just a couple of important um, points from them that we can know, that we can know. And by the way, that, that in itself is a significant statement, right? God didn't tell us everything that's going to happen in the future. And some of the things he does talk about, he doesn't talk in a way that clearly lays everything out. Um, we don't get all the details, especially in terms of how and what order and, and when and all those types of things. But he is very clear and, and makes sure that we, we can know those main points. These are the things that he wants us to get. And, and so it's those main points that I, I just want to focus on today. And by the way, I would guess that, that most Bible-believing uh, Christians agree on the main points. It's when we start trying to decipher every detail and figure out the how and the what order and the way it's going to work and all that kind of stuff that Christians start disagreeing. And beyond that, whenever you start to dealing with Bible prophecy, it uses a fair amount of symbolic language through there. And so then determining what the symbolic language represents or stands for or, or uh, means uh, can be difficult. Every now and then, the Bible tells us specifically, uh, here's this, this symbolic thing and here's what it means. And so then you can know that, but a lot of times it doesn't. And so genuine, sincere, godly, Bible-believing Christians may disagree on some of these points. And, and you know what? 
I'm okay with that. Uh, because it's the main points that God wants us to get. And if we can uh, uh, be able to work together disagreeing on some of these details, uh, we're, we're still on the same team. We're, we're still working towards the same goal of, of bringing people to Jesus Christ so that their future is secured. And, and that's what we want to work at. So I, I would guess that most of us uh, uh, agree on these these main points. And none of the unclear details of the end times and prophecies are worth dividing over. None of them are worth dividing over. Let's, let's, let's keep working together. So, let's get started on these main points that I think we should all be able to agree on. Uh, have you ever, uh, you know, seen a cartoon or uh, maybe in the movies or something like that, one of those crazy guys walks, walks around, you've got long hair and a big beard like this and wearing a robe. And, and I don't know why you're all work, looking at Mark. Uh, uh, and, 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 and he's walking around with one of those placards, you know, that says, the end is coming. Right, you've seen that? Guess what? They're right. That, that's true. The, the, the end is coming. That's, that's one of the main points that, that God wants us to get. Uh, do you remember the first verse we read, uh, Daniel eight nineteen? right? It says, it pertains to the appointed time of the end. And the word it in that verse refers to these crazy visions that Daniel had seen, which we'll, we'll kind of highlight here in a, a second or two. But uh, he, he had two separate ones. But, but the first main point, the first main point of all Bible prophecy that I think every single Christian should be able to agree on is this. There is an appointed time to the end. That is a fact. There is an appointed time to the end. According to the Bible, God has a plan and a time limit for human history. And at some point, and we don't know what that point will be, God is going to declare that time has run out. Jesus Christ will return. All things will be made new. God's eternal, perfect, sinless kingdom will be established. And those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ will live forever with God in that uh, perfect paradise. But those who have rejected him will be sent away to eternal punishment along with Satan and all the demons. There is an end. And it is coming. That is something that every Bible-believing Christian can agree upon. But it is not something that the world believes or wants to accept. And of course, that, that shouldn't really surprise us because, I mean, that's exactly what the Bible predicted would happen. The Apostle Peter wrote in, uh, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, Know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their lusts and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it has from the beginning of creation. Oh, yeah, people have been saying Jesus is going to come back, you know, forever. I don't know why the church keeps talking about where, where's, where's his coming. It's not happening. To them, they don't believe it. Why? Because the world keeps turning. Sunrise and sunset and sunrise and sunset follow day after day after day uh, uh, as, as sure as a, a Swiss watch, right? I mean, it, it just functions the way it's supposed to function. And, and they think the world's just going to keep on keeping on. But they're wrong. God does have a plan. There is a timetable, and the end will come. 
And every day we live means we're one day closer to that end time. So now let's, let's get back to those visions that Daniel had. The first one is recorded back in uh, chapter 7. It was in the first year of Belshazzar's reign. So that would be about 14 or 15 years uh, prior to Daniel being in the lion's den, what we, we had looked at last week. So, so we got a flashback uh, going here now. Chapter 7 actually takes place way before chapter 6. And, and uh, he's, he's recording this for us and looking back at us. In that chapter, you can read about his vision. I'd encourage you to do that. He has four great beasts rising up out of the sea. You have a lion with wings that ends up turning into an image like a man and then a, a great bear with ribs hanging out of its mouth and then there comes this leopard with four wings on its back and, uh, to signify speed and, and, uh, and then four heads. And then finally you have a fourth beast which appears, uh, which is simply described as dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong and it had large iron teeth. Okay? And this particular beast, this fourth one, had ten horns growing on it. And then out of those ten horns, another little horn uh, grows up and rips out three of them by the roots. And then that little horn has eyes and a mouth that starts speaking blasphemies and boastful things against God. But all of a sudden, the Ancient of Days shows up, which is a name for God the Father. And he sets up court and a judgment. And that final beast, that fourth one that's described there, was slain. And then the Son of Man, which of course would be a reference for Jesus, he shows up and establishes an everlasting kingdom, which according to verse 14 will not pass away and, and will, um, one which will not be destroyed. And that's the vision. I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy, pretty wild stuff. And it's no wonder then that Daniel's response to all of this was, as for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me and, and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. I mean, he, he, he couldn't figure this out. He, he had no idea what was going on. And, and then a couple of years later, uh, he had another vision recorded for us in chapter 8. And this vision starts uh, with the image of a powerful ram with two uh, horns uh, standing king over, over this territory and guarding it. But pretty soon this goat uh, comes flying over the land. It's going so fast his feet's not touching the ground, it says, with a single large horn uh, between its eyes, and he beats up the ram. And, and uh, so I, I guess you would call that a, like a unicorn goat, a unigoat, um, uh, something like that. He has a single ram. Anyways, that horn ends up busting and four little horns uh, pop up out of it. And one of those small horns grows, become the most powerful and aggressive and starts taking over more territory in different directions, including uh, what Daniel says towards he takes over the beautiful land, which would be a reference to, to Israel. And uh, he ends up desecrating uh, the temple and causing a halt to the sacrifices that are there. And, and all, all of this is going on. And once again, Daniel says that he was upset and, and perplexed by this, this wild and crazy vision. Fortunately for him, an angel was sent to help him understand his vision. Now, angels have shown up in the Bible before. In fact, from the book of Genesis on, you have angels showing up at uh, specific times in the history of Israel. But this, if you get to Daniel, is the very first time in the Bible that an angel is actually named. And if you uh, look at uh, chapter 8, verse 16, we're told that his name is Gabriel, which is a strong name, which means 
man of God. A man of God. And Gabriel, he answers many of Daniel's questions. He, he tells him uh, that both visions have to do with the course of world events and specifically uh, that uh, it's representing four different empires that are going to arise leading up to the time of the end. And uh, then uh, in, in chapter 8, uh, the, the ram and the goat are two of those empires, and it gives us a lot more specific details about those two empires. The ram, in chapter uh, 8, verse 20, is specifically identified as the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, so we don't have to guess what it represents. And then the goat, uh, the unigoat, uh, is, uh, is uh, Greece. And again, specifically told us, verse 21 tells us that. Uh, later on, they talk about this, you know, this fourth kingdom arising, um, and that is dreadful and terrifying and, and extremely strong, and that would end up being Rome. Now, here's the interesting thing. This vision, this first one took place in year one of Belshazzar, the second one in year three, which means at the time Daniel had these visions, Babylon was the world power. The Medes and the Persians were... Not much of anything, uh, just over in the way. Nobody would have thought too much about them. And Greece was just this podunk little uh, kingdom that nobody cared two licks about. And, and of course, Rome wasn't even on the horizon yet. And yet, here we have God giving detailed information about these kingdoms, predicting that they would rise to world dominance and power, and showing how they would affect specifically Israel and God's people. Now, the prophecies, as you look through Daniel, are so precise and so accurate that, of course, critics of the Bible dismiss it as not being real. There are many who would want to say that, you know, oh, come on, you know, a Daniel who would live during the time of Babylon, he couldn't possibly have known about all this stuff about, you know, Persia, the Medes and the Persians and and Greece and and all that kind of stuff. Therefore, uh, the book of Daniel must be a fake written by a ghostwriter after all these facts took place, and he's just pretending that he was writing them beforehand and that it was prophecy. The problem that people who take that position keep running into is that all the evidence keeps pointing back to Daniel being real and the book being written in the 6th century just as he claims. Every time they make a new archaeological discovery over there, it supports what Daniel did. And these prophecies, they may confound critics who don't want to believe in the power of God But they don't disturb us who do believe, right? In fact, that leads us to our second main point that I think every Christian should be able to agree on concerning the point of prophecies in the end times. God knows what's going to happen. That's point two. God knows what's going to happen. He can give the details about the future because He actually knows the future. Unlike psychics and fortune tellers who can only make guesses or these very vague predictions that are so general that they could be fulfilled in any number of different ways, God can tell us exactly what's going to happen. So let's just take an example out of the book of Daniel for this. With Greece, right? You have it represented by a leopard with four wings, which would highlight its speed, right? And, and then four heads in chapter 7. And then, and, and then it's represented by a goat 
in, in uh, chapter 8, but it says this goat moved so fast that its feet didn't even touch the ground, which is another way of uh, saying uh, its speed, right? And, and then its single horn was smashed and, and, and grew into four horns. You know what? That, that describes exactly what happened with Greece to a T. Alexander the Great took over the world faster than anybody else. He, Babylon, Medes and Persians, they had these massive armies that took a long time to move and do anywhere. Alexander the Great took over the world with 35,000 men. Very small army that he could just move quickly around the place. But as if you, if you read your history, as you know, Alexander the Great conquered the world and then died. 33 years old. Um, didn't leave a suitable heir. So what happened? Well, his generals started fighting amongst themselves for territory. How many generals? Four of them. And they each ended up taking a, a, a bit of the territory. And so it ended up going from one kingdom into four, just like the leopard with four heads or the single horn coming into four horns. Very, very precise. But it gets even more specific than that. You get to chapter 11, which is giving... Now, here's the angels giving more details about the prophecies and what they mean. And two of those four kingdoms in Greece, again, hopefully you pay attention in history class, they kind of faded away and you ended up getting two kingdoms that were strong, the north and the south. And the north was led by the Seleucids, called the Seleucids. The southern power was the Ptolemies. And so let's read one prophecy about them. Uh, verse 6, chapter 11 says this, After some years, they, that's these two kingdoms, will form an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south will come to the king of the north to carry out a peaceful arrangement. But she will not retain her position of power, nor will he remain with his power, but she will be given up along with those who brought her in and the one who sired her as well as the one who supported her in those times. And you're like, wait, wait, what? Thing kind of confusing. Okay, uh, this is exactly what happened as you read your history books. Uh, the, the Ptolemy king offered his daughter Bernice in marriage to the Seleucid ruler to make this arrangement. And the Seleucid ruler was a guy named Antiochus II, and they were going to form this alliance. But Antiochus had a wife already, and he had to divorce her to make room for Bernice. And her name was Laodice, uh, and verse, uh, as verse 6 says, uh, Bernice's position didn't last, right? Uh, um, because uh, Laodice was not happy about being uh, shunned and thrown to the dust heap. And so she hired some assassins and had Bernice uh, killed. And got her out of the way. Then she convinced Antiochus to remarry her. But you notice in the verse it says Antiochus doesn't last either. This ruler doesn't last. Yeah, well, after they got remarried, she poisoned him and got rid of him too. And and then put her son on the throne. But that didn't last either. Her, uh, the, the king rose up and, uh, from the south and, and uh, started fighting. And then uh, her father was killed and her brother who supported her was killed. All of this is history. Remarkably, precisely predicted 300 years before it happened. God knows the future. 
And that should give us a great deal of confidence in God's Word, shouldn't it? And, and in His Word generally, but specifically when it comes to those prophetic passages of the Bible, because think of it, if all those past events which were prophesied were so accurately, literally, completely fulfilled, those prophetic events still yet to be fulfilled in the future will happen just as accurately and literally and completely as the past. You can count on it. Our future is as certain as a fulfilled past. And I mean, how awesome is that? What, what confidence we can gain in God's Word. God knows what's going to happen because God is in control of world events. And that should be both a, a source of comfort and motivation for us. It's comforting because, you know, as we look around us at this evil world and the things that are taking place and everything that's happening, it's easy for us to forget that God is still on the throne. Evil may seem to be having its way, but God's plan will be carried out. It's comforting because it gives us confidence that a God who has mapped out the future for this world knows what is happening right now in the present. And He knows what's happening not only in the whole world. He knows what's happening in your life. Isn't that comforting? God knows your struggles, your heartache, your pain, your failings, your weaknesses. He knows the difficulties you're facing, the decisions you have to make, the choices that lie before you. And He has promised to walk with you through every single one of those. That is a comforting promise. And this truth ought to also motivate us. If God is in control and He is bringing the world to an end according to His predetermined timetable, then you know what? I want to serve and follow Him right now, right? Because we don't know what that timetable is. I want to give Him my life and I want to submit to Him because the final remaining point uh, that I want to bring out today of all Bible prophecy that I think every single Christian can agree on is this. God wins. When the end comes, God wins. Chapter 7 describes God the Father as setting up His throne of judgment. And He will once and for all judge all evil and wickedness and sin and eliminate it from the earth. And then according to verse 14, the Ancient of Days has a gift for the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. And that gift is this. And to Him who was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, unlike all these worldly kingdoms that He's just gone through, will not pass away, and His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. That, my friends, is how it all ends. In the book of Revelation... You can find out more details about uh, gaining a new heaven, a new earth. That's going to be our dwelling place forever. That's the kingdom that he is setting up. There, 
kingdom will have no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, no more growing old and weak and decrepit, no more disease or disabilities, and most of all, no more sin. You will never do wrong again. And you will never be wronged again. Because God will perfect each and every person that is there, body, soul, and spirit. That's God's plan. That's what He's bringing to fulfillment. And do we know all the details about how it's all going to be exactly accomplished? No. But we do know that what this means is that there is a choice that every single person must make. Will we choose to join His side and be part of that glorious plan for the future? See, nobody's there automatically. You don't get to be on His side just because you go to church a lot or just because your parents were Christians. Every single person must choose for himself. And you choose by admitting your need for God, by admitting your sinfulness, and that you can't care and take care of your sin yourself, that you need God and His forgiveness. And you accept that Jesus Christ has paid that penalty for you, and the grace of God is given to you, which gives you eternal life and puts you on His side. Will you choose to join? Or will you reject him in favor of temporary passing pleasures that you can grab here and now on this earth? And a choice to do nothing is a choice to reject because we all start on the outside looking in. You have to choose God to be on his side. That's really the point of prophecy, isn't it? God wins. Which side are you going to be on? Let's pray. Father God, I know there's just so much more we could talk about with Bible prophecy, and I, I enjoy uh, looking at the Scriptures and debating different points and aspects, but God, help us not to miss the forest for the trees. You God, have a timetable. The end is coming. You know what the future holds, and you win. And we must choose which side we'll be on. God, I pray for each and every person here, those that may not have made that choice, that today would be the day that your spirit would rest heavy on their hearts until they would choose to accept the salvation that comes in Jesus Christ. And for us who have made that choice, God, help this to motivate us to live with confidence, with character and conviction in this world so that we might be the shining lights, as the book of Daniel says, lights that will shine brighter and brighter till the dawning of day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.